0: Hi, everyone. This is Catherine Adams and Elizabeth Wallace, and you're listening to Binary System Podcast number 370. And tonight we are recapping two episodes of Laura Olympus. But here's the thing, you guys they are both only available on the Fast Pass because Laura Olympus is officially now on hiatus for four months. Yep. The um, Webtoons app says that the next episode is going to be free in like 100 days, I think. Oh, boy. Oh, God. Oh boy. Oh boy. Oh boy. So there's three episodes that are available that you can fast pass if you want. And we try not to fast pass too many things at once. We know it's just going to make it longer until we get new content. So we split the difference. We fast pass two episodes. We've got 251 and 252. That's what we're going to recap tonight giant spoiler warnings of course because these aren't going to be available for anybody to watch if you don't want to pay for them for quite some time. However, Rachel Smythe, you know, she's been very upfront about the fact that, you know, she's she had been sick at one point and that kind of ate through a lot of her kind of like buffer that you build up as your webtoon person and she knows the pace she's been working at is maybe not sustainable and she doesn't want it to suffer and I'm like, we don't want it to suffer, we don't want you to suffer, we don't want to kill the golden goose, so definitely take all the time you need and also, ah! And I seem to be hearing more and more about creatives, especially in the comic book industry, just Mm. getting worked ragged. And I suppose it's, it's tricky, because I remember you telling me that waiting for all of the issues to come out and be turned into a graphic novel is a really good way to get the comic book canceled, because if nobody's buying the individual issues, then the publishers think, well, this isn't popular enough, and they cancel it. So they have to do it on a monthly basis in order to keep up interest and keep people buying it. But my goodness, I mean, I'm working on a couple of uh, drawings that I've wanted to do for a while. It's taken me months to do one drawing. Oh, I don't yeah. understand how people can keep up that kind of pace. Oh, man. Every year when we do the Dragonfall Drawing Challenge in November, I'm like, oh, I have to do a small drawing every day? And I'm like, can you imagine? I mean, doing every single panel. Man, Ooh, just ugh, Man, I'm, I'm so impressed. So, yeah, yeah I So yeah, Rachel, take all the time you need. So uh, we're going to jump right into episode 251, which if you remember from the last time, (laughs) the previous episode ended where... Hades did a sleep dive and came out of it suddenly, and it's not Hades anymore, it's Kronos, and he's got a hold of Persephone. And you see, I mean, Persephone, she never looks scared, which I think is great. She's just, she's shouting at Kronos, and she tells him, give me back my husband. And he said, bring me Hera. And she said, release Tartarus. He says, bring me Hera. And she says, let the interloper go. And she's just so angry. But he tells them they have to bring Hera. And he says, if you thought what I did to Hera was bad, and then there's this pause. And then all of a sudden, you see this spear of crystal just kind of poking out of his back. And you see what I'm pretty sure is the silhouette of Hades's face mm-hmm. saying no harm will come to the goddess of spring. And then these gigantic spears of crystal just erupt from Kronos's Hades is back. Yeah, seriously. I mean, you're trying these giant crystals that punch through the walls of the building. I mean, they're so <laughs> huge. You've got Hecate, is just like, get him down, get him down. And at that moment, you know, Hades and Persephone are sort of hanging from these crystals and they're both unconscious. And then kind of a little passage of time and it's Hades and he's sort of bandaged and lying there and he looks up and Persephone's there and she's got a a cloth wrapped around her neck. And he says, you know, let me see it, let me see it. And she says, it wasn't you. And her neck is so completely bruised, because that's where Kronos was grabbing her when he was threatening her. And he's so sorry. And he says, if you want to leave, I'll understand. And she kisses him. And she says, I know that's the stress of the day talking, know that I love you, and that you're stuck with me forever. And it's just perfect, just goes right to the heart of it, of course. does. I, no, so I I usually like it when somebody's saying something like that and the other person kisses him to shut him up. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, you know, they're both crying and Hades is talking about what happened during the sleep dive and he doesn't remember everything except he knows what he's feeling and what he feels like. It feels like there's been no time at all since he was that scared little boy just lost in the dark. And he feels horrible because he's worked so much of his life to get past all that trauma. And now he's just right back in it. And Persephone just tells him what he needs to hear. She says she's actually in awe of him because of everything that he's overcome and the man he's turned into. And she, I mean... He tells her that the whole idea about a little child goddess being held prisoner by Kronos, it's been bothering him a lot, because it goes right to the heart of what he's feeling. And Persephone thinks that he's the most important part of this now, Hades himself, because of everything he's gone through. And what he's chosen now is compassion for the interloper. And her idea is, we need to get a new mindset on this. And what she thinks is they need to come up with a better name than the interloper. And they're going to have to think about it. Something to actually personalize this person who's being held prisoner. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. Okay. So the scene changes. Now there were a couple commenters who called bullshit on this next thing, but I kind of think it makes sense. All right. So, we see there's like a news flash talking about an explosion in the building in the underworld and everything. They're talking about the giant crystal thing. And then we see Thetis and Luce are watching the news. And Thetis looks sulky and Luce looks brainless. And Thetis finally says, All right, I want to see those texts that Hades sent you. And Luce is like, Okay. And she gives it to her. <laughs> oh my God, the texts? They're fake. Luce made them up. Luce has this manifest board. It's, it's some like positive, thinking, affirmation, whatever, where she has to manifest what she wants to happen. But at the same time, she thinks that this manifesting is as good as the fact that Hades actually loves her. And I think I mean, she's delusional. But it seems like she's been helped along on this delusion by this ridiculous positive thinking sort of mindset. I bet she has a guru or somebody that she's gone to or, or a YouTube video or something. But Yeah. yeah, so it's silly. And Theddy's just absolutely cannot believe that this has all been faked and that Luce still believes it. And they're both sitting there looking angry. And Theddy says, I miss Menth," And I'm like, yeah, I bet you do. Because Menth was a much better companion than Luce is ever going to be. And she's gone for good. That's right. Not going to get her back. So did you ever read that book, The Secret? came out several don't years ago? I think so, no. I want to say that that was the... I mean, I'm sure lots of books have done this, but I think that's what popularized this idea that if you really want something, you have to really concentrate and focus on it and believe it and write it down and all that kind of stuff. It's all like a lot of hoity-toity, la-la bullshit type stuff and everything, <laughs> but that's what I thought when I saw that. I was just like, this magical thinking. I mean, there's there's thinking positively and there's also being delusional. So anyway, so... We go back now, we're back into the mortal realm. Now, in the very beginning of this episode, we did see a brief moment. And that's when Psyche and Hephaestus had seen this picture that had been on Apollo's phone, I believe. And it was a picture of Cassandra. So... Now, at the very end of the episode, we are back in the mortal realm, and there's Cassandra, you know, there kind of looks like she's sweeping a temple with this other woman. And she's like, oh, no. And the other woman who's with her is basically like, oh, really, your imaginary friend is here, so you're not going to be able to help with chores, whatever. And Cassandra's like, it's true. I wouldn't say it if it wasn't true. And the woman's like, whatever, fine, suit yourself. And this is like, that's the curse of Cassandra, that she has prophecies from Apollo, but no one believes her. And this is such a realistic way of doing it, where people are like, uh-huh, your imaginary friend is telling you things again. F- fine, whatever, crazy. And it's even creepier because Apollo is actually standing right there, and the other woman doesn't see him. Nope. And nope. Nope. Apollo just, you know, smiles down her and says, hello, Cassandra. And that's where the episode ends. And the next episode starts with Cassandra's first words to Apollo, which is, yuck, it's you. And I love that (laughs) she's not afraid of him. She's pissed off that he's here. She doesn't like him at all. She doesn't appreciate this prophecy gift that he, you know, so generously gave her because she gives detailed and accurate prophecies that nobody believes. Great. Thanks. Yeah. And I had completely forgotten because I knew that she was cursed with prophecies that no one would believe. I forgot all the reasons why. And it's the exact reason you would expect. Apollo liked her. She rebuffed his advances. So he cursed her with accurate prophecies that no one will believe. And I'm like, oh, yeah, that so fits in with the Apollo we know and hate. Yep, And he also, he doesn't care that other humans don't believe her he wants her as this like his secret thing and he refers to her as my squeaky clean browser history so he wants information but he doesn't want anybody else believing her and spreading the word that she's giving Apollo information which is clever but it also shows that he honestly doesn't care about anybody except Apollo and what Apollo needs right now So he's asked her, you know, he's asking her like about that thing that he wanted her to do. And she's like, it's a really demanding prophecy. It takes time. And he says, well, show me what you've got right now. I don't have a lot of time. And she said, well, you know, okay, fine. If it's missing key details, don't say that I didn't warn you. So he's specifically asking for a prophecy. And you see that Eros and Psyche are kind of hiding in the bushes watching this go on, which is nice, because it's like, you know, Hephaestus and Psyche were kind of checking this all out, but she's brought Eros in on this. I'm like, good, no secrets. Um, but yeah, Eros says it looks like it's prophecy magic, which I don't believe in because I like living in the moment. And Psyche looks almost like she's rolling her eyes at that. But yeah, it's almost like I can't quite figure out what's going on is... She delving into the future or is she making a future happen? I'm not sure what the point is on this one. I'm not sure, but it definitely seems like the prophecy is a work in progress and he's looking for something specific. So I don't know, maybe it's, he's asking her, all right, if I do this and this also happens and we manage to get this going, then what does the future look like? So he's probably trying to finagle the right future, but she's there to get the details for him. Got it, got it, got it. So they you know, have kind of like this sort of magical moment and then he just turns around and leaves and she collapses and Psyche and Eros run up to her because she's completely out cold and then the scene switches again and we're in the underworld and Persephone and Hades are getting ready for this spring ceremony, which I've kind of been wondering about. I mean, even though persephone is the queen of the underworld she's still the goddess of spring and she has duties in the mortal realm yeah and i wrote down here hades and persephone are headed down for the spring ceremony i wonder if that will go wrong i just i feel like demeter's gonna do something to make it so that she has to stay but hades can't i mean we've got one more episode before the mid-season hiatus so i just feel like it's all gonna come down to this episode ah crap So her phone rings and it's Hera and you see Hera is sitting on the couch next to Hestia and Hestia is like, just tell her. And Hera's like, I'm fine. All right, right. And Hera's basically saying, all right, I just, I wanted to just tell you I'm, going through somewhat of a personal crisis. And I really don't want to bother anybody. And the words are not even out of her mouth. And there's a knock on the door. Yeah. And the door opens and it's Persephone. She's like, I'm here. So she's like, all she (laughs) had to hear was that Hera needed her and that she was at the door. And still still in her dressing gown, too. So she Mm -hmm. didn't even change. And Hera tells Persephone everything. It's just one of those things that I always love about this comic is that we do sometimes have some secrets going on, but they are resolved way faster than we would have in like some kind of annoying drama where you're like, Just tell people that's truth. Hera tells her absolutely everything. She tells her that Kronos has been there. She tells her about having slept with Kronos in order to get him, you know, distracted when they were having the titomancy war and everything, and talking about how traumatized that was and how He's been hammering at her about their past, trying to get her to admit that she loved him, which I cannot believe it wasn't until this episode that I realized why he was doing that. Okay, tell me, because I thought I had figured it out, but... Yeah. It's because the commenters... Bless you commenters, completely forgot about this. When Persephone and Ares were in the room that showed the pictures of all the goddesses, the, the fertility goddesses, there was one that was gray scaled out and it looked a little bit like Hera, but it was not in color the way the others were. Hera was never a full fertility goddess. She has the potential to be one, but she had sex with Kronos, but she wasn't in love with him because that's what awakens the powers. And so she was ah. like, it skipped her. Right, right. And that's why Kronos has been like, you love me. You love me. You love me. And it's like, Ugh. one, that's awful. But two, that is a form of abuse. I mean, they talk about this all the time. People in like, abusive relationships. Well, one person just hammers at them and hammers at them and hammers at them to get them to verbally say what they want them to say and to say it the way they want them to say it is it is abusive and it's awful and yeah. so she's like yeah you know, she's thinking for everything that she went through she thinks she deserves this yeah oh god flashing back to the whole jonah hill thing that's been making the rounds on Twitter. Have you been following that? I mean, Mm, everyone's like, there are people who think that, oh, but he was just saying what his boundaries were. And I think my favorite summary of the whole stupid situation is that there are guys out there that they say they want a submissive woman, but they are not attracted to submissive women. They are attracted to vibrant, intelligent, beautiful, outgoing women who are strong and have their own career and their own needs. And then they get like a trophy for themselves by breaking them, by turning them into the submissive woman, at which point they probably cheat on them because they found somebody that's more exciting like they used to be. So you have this whole idea that of transforming somebody until they say what you want, and then it's probably not even going to stop the abuse once that happens. Nope. And that's, I mean, Hera looks just... Oh, she just looks so done. I mean, there's like tears leaking out of her eyes and she's leaning on one of her hands. Of course, art is just beautiful, but she just, she feels like she's tied to him somehow. And I'm like, oh my God, that absolutely reminds me of Persephone, how she felt after Apollo. And Persephone tells her that. She says, after what happened with me and Apollo, it was awful, but at the same time, I felt so bad that he left and I hated myself for that. And I'm like, yeah, and it's just, it's addressing the fact that your body and your brain will react to things. Maybe it's a survival technique, maybe it's just some kind of lizard brain sort of thing where it's just your very most primitive emotions are reacting all over the place and it doesn't mean that you have to be shamed for it. No, no. and it also doesn't mean that what you did was consensual and that's like there are people who don't think that guys can be I don't want to get too deep into this. The people who think that guys can't be raped by women because they're like, you know, if a guy feels in danger or whatever, he's not going to get hard and everything. It's the exact opposite, you know. it's Your body can react in a certain way to stimulus, and it doesn't mean that it was consent, you know. And so it happens with women, happens with men, and that's one of the things that Hera feels awful about was that, you know, she didn't just have sex with them once. She had it several times. It was really got wrenchingly awful the first time but it got a little easier and it's like your body tries to protect itself so um but yeah Persephone is just just lets her know that you know none of this none of this was worth it because Hera tries to say that what happened to her it was worth it so they could have peace and Persephone's like No peace is worth any of that. And she said, you are priceless, is what she tells Hera. And Hera actually smiles and she starts glowing. And it's, yes, and it's, I mean, and some of the commenters pointed out that in a lot of ways, the way Hera and Persephone are dealing with their assaults. And, you know, their trauma is kind of a generational thing. Whereas Persephone, she knows she needs to deal with this. She goes to the doctor to get herself checked out. When she finally realizes she needs to deal with her trauma, she goes to talk to somebody, to a doctor, something like that. Whereas Hera, her generation is you have to be quiet because what you went through was shameful and you kind of asked for it and you're not going to make anything better by making other people feel bad about what you went through when you are doing it on behalf of a whole entire world so yeah and it's you know yeah. Hera's been bottling this up for a while and I'm so glad it's all out now oh it's all and I hope that they can figure out you know how to get Kronos away from her I mean that wasn't addressed in this episode hopefully future but at least everyone knows now so mm-hmm. it's just mm-hmm. oh. So we flash back to the mortal realm and Hades is there and he's wearing his like mortal realm garb with that kind of like face helmet thing that I like so much. And, um, uh, Dionysus the grip is sitting on his shoulder and, <laughs> and Hades is wondering if, uh, Persephone will like what he did with, uh, Dionysus's hair. And they're just kind of staying there for a minute and there's like this, Boom. And Persephone appears out of nowhere in a rush. And she's got this great pose. And she's like, I'm here, I'm here, I'm here. (laughs) And Hades is like, getting the hang of your teleportation. She's like, I feel like I'm gonna throw up. (laughs) So it's obviously a little rough. So... Persephone tells Hades that she was talking with Hera and she'll explain all that when they get a chance. And Hades says, that's fine. And he tells her that he did decide on a good name for, quote unquote, the interloper. And at first, when you see it, it's in Greek lettering. And so you can't, you know, kind of slightly different from our usual letters And then we see these images, and they're always sort of mirrored a little bit. It's Kronos, you know, coming, either heading down or going up. And then we see images of the child that we've been seeing for so long, and for a while it was sort of covered in a sheet, and for a while its eyes were closed and everything, and and then we see its hair is very long, and then it opens its eyes and it's eyes open and they're red. And he's got the branches, the wing branches sort of thing Mm -hmm. that Persephone has. So it's a child and it kind of looks like child Hades only with Persephone's features. And you hear, you see Persephone say, Melano, oh, I like that. And that's where the episode ends. Yes, and the commenters pointed out again, apparently that is a little girl. And they say it's the little girl from the dream that Persephone was trying to wake Hades up from. And I was like, oh my God. And I have not looked it up. Have you looked it up? I didn't look it up because I didn't want to be spoiled. Uh, Well, people say Melano is actually the goddess of, I think, nightmares and ghosts, I think. And the little, you know, ghost, child, whatever, always shows up after Hades has had a nightmare. And there's this whole idea that maybe this Child has been there for a very long time, and has been visiting Hades. And when he was in a coma, just kind of decided she still wanted to be part of his life. So she stepped into his dream and became the little child when he was dreaming of a happy family. So but there are all sorts of other things like some people are wondering, when when Cronos took revenge on Hera, he basically chopped her in half. And some people wondered, Was she pregnant at that point? And he removed Mm -hmm. something from her. And everyone's like, I don't think Melano in mythology was Kronos' or Hera's child. It was almost definitely Persephone's child. Mm -hmm. But, you know, someone said, well, some of the myth says that it was actually Persephone and Zeus. But someone else said, it's a little more complicated than that. Because in those myths, Hades and Zeus were kind of the same person. So it's most likely going to be something to do with Hades and something to do with Persephone. And maybe, oh. maybe she has manifested this because she told him she could take a part of him and actually create a child using her, you know, spring goddess, fertility, whatever powers. So yep, well, that's very interesting. It was a nice way to end the episode too, because it wasn't, yeah. it wasn't awful. It wasn't a like a, I'm sure next time we're going to have the dropkick of an episode where we get to wait for four months to find out but then what happened I know. i can't decide i'm, I'm almost sort of thinking i'm like can i just wait until thanksgiving before i read that third episode i i don't, don't know. know i don't know mm. it's a good idea will it happen mm. i don't yeah. mind giving rachel more money in the um the fast pass bucks i mean she, yeah. she should get all the monies oh, goodness gracious and of course yeah, like you said, just beautiful art. All the way yeah, so, yeah. Just lovely. Uh, which we're not going to be able to show any preview images of it in the podcast post because it's all FastPass stuff and we never show preview images of the FastPass. Also, I noticed that when you do a FastPass, they do say something like, you know, piracy is a crime and everything. And I'm wondering yep. if the. Uh, if they would be able to tell if you're capturing screen caps of fast pass stuff so i'm like "Mm -hmm." i don't know Mm -hmm. you get the warning when she shares some like teaser images of upcoming episodes and she says please don't share this with people who aren't fast passing so she's very very aware that there are a lot of people out there that do not want to be spoiled and aren't fast passing right anyway so that was it probably it for a few more weeks Few more months depending uh, on how long we hold out so uh, maybe we'll just have to do some fan art so to yeah let's have time. a fan art post that would be good yeah, yeah that would be great so the only other thing I wanted to talk about this week because basically what I've been doing mostly is reading a lot of graphic novels because my friend Michael he reads a ton of graphic novels and they're all like Really all over the place. I read a Batwoman one that I kind of liked. Um, there was a Stephen King one that my friend Wade had checked out. It was called N, I think. And it was <gasps> that was oh, I love really like, sh- that's one of my favorite short stories. That kind of a Cthulhuish really? sort of thing going on. Oh, yes, I mean, oh, I love that I mean, one because I never actually read the short story, so I would be curious to see what you thought of the graphic novel. Yes, yes, I'm definitely interested. Oh, but the two that I really, really liked, and I just read them yesterday and the day before yesterday. The first one is called. The Nice House on the Lake, and it's the first one of the series, first graphic novel. It's out of DC, their black label thing. I'd never heard of it. James Tinian the Fourth does the story. Alvaro Martinez Bueno does the art with Jordi Belair, it's on colors, I believe. And I just, I don't know what it is. It is super bleak, really, really dark, but it's like horror with a little bit of sci fi. But there's also like a mystery and maybe a potential puzzle going on. There. And <laughs> I think the art is is really intriguing. It's not that kind of like really clean cartoony art that you and I like a lot of the times. It has like a sketchy quality to it, but it's really, it's beautiful and very nicely done and super expressive and the colors are amazing. So I read the first graphic novel and I've actually checked to see the library has a copy of the second graphic novel, but uh, it's, I'm the fourth person in line for it. So oh wow. So popular specific. then. Yeah. And the other one that I read is Lazarus volume one. Uh, Greg Ruka is on the story on there and it's sort of a future dystopian world. Uh, you know, you've got like various families run the whole world. There's some kind of climate change stuff is going on as well. Um, you know, they have like, they always say the population of a place, family, four. Serfs, 187. Waste. 2 million, you know, and it's like, I guess waste are people who are not serfs for whatever reason. So, and it's really, but mm. Lazarus is just, you know, I guess most of the families have one person in the family who can't be killed for whatever reason. And so the story here is uh, mostly focused on this one woman who's the Lazarus of this one family. And she at one point talks with the Lazarus of another family. And there's this kind of idea kind of like, you know, they're part of like rival families, but they understand each other because they're like, you know, the spearhead of their fighting force and they can't be killed and everything. Oh, my God. Uh, Joaquin, who is the Lazarus of the other family and everything. Tom Hiddleston needs to play him in the movie. That's really? It looks like. Yes. I totally <laughs> see it. Every time I look, I was just like... Oh, He's like this really great fighter, can't be killed. And they kind of have like a little bit of a, will they won't they thing going on. I like all of this. (laughs) Highly recommend that one too. Well, the two things I had to talk about, I've watched up to episode three of the book of Boba Fett. And I know exactly what you're talking about with the irritating kids. Now it's irritating teenagers, but it's like, disaffected teenagers that Boba Fett decides he's going to hire them to be on his, you know, payroll, whatever. And I'm just like, sure. sure, why not? But you know, they have, they have a big street chase at one point, And I'm like, Oh God, this is so much more irritatingly green screened than I would oh, really yeah. like. And I like, I didn't yeah. like any of that. There's this whole thing going on with the mayor, uh, is, throwing obstacles in Boba Fett's way. And he's got this like henchman who is so irritating. And it's like, I know he's supposed to be irritating, but it all feels so out of place. And then you're still getting flashbacks to um, Boba Fett's time with the sand people. And there's this big spiritual thing that was going on that I thought had some interesting images and like dancing around a campfire and him crafting his own, you know, fighting staff, which I love me a good crafting sequence, but none of it felt terribly earned. And I was I was kind of sad when you find out that the whole Sand Tribe got slaughtered by, you know, whatever, this gang that came in and killed them all. And I'm like, mm, I guess they weren't as good at fighting as you thought they were, Boba Fett. But yep. yeah. So, but then, you know, there was when he, they were all still alive, there was a whole thing where they were fighting the train that didn't ride on tracks or something like that. Mm -hmm. There was some, there were some fun images, like somebody gets kicked out a window and you're looking at the ground going past you, you know, out the window. And when the person gets kicked out of the window, you see them hit the ground, then they're gone. And I just thought that was a good, that was a good effect there. But yeah, I didn't, I just, uh, I understand it's supposed to get better after this point. But that's another irritating thing with streaming services. I do not like this whole idea about, oh, you have to get through three episodes and it'll be great. Or you have to get through the first two seasons and then it really picks up. I don't like that. I don't like the investment in time. It's another thing that makes me not want to watch things until it's done and I can talk to people and find out, is the effort worth it or not? Right, right. Which, I mean, I would say... Hugh, who does our movie and TV reviews, he thought it was worth it, but Hugh likes everything. Yeah, I did. There's an episode coming up, I can't remember which number, where I remember when it came out and someone said, wow, that episode of Boba Fett was one of the best Mandalorian episodes I've seen. So, (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, So there's that. But the other thing I wanted to talk about is Nathan and I went to Alamo Drafthouse last week and we saw the new Wes Anderson movie, Asteroid City. Yeah. And I liked it. I thought it was fun. Now, I've only seen two other Wes Anderson movies, um, Rushmore and The Life Aquatic with Steve Zissou. Right. And I liked them. But with the other movies, it's always – you can really feel like there's this slight bit of unreality going on where people's dialogue – Is just quirky, and you're not you. Especially the Life Aquatic with Steve Zissou. It's like an adventure movie sometimes, and people delivering these angsty, you know, proclamations, whatever. And you're like, okay, yeah, I I see that he's going for this sort of thing to keep you off kilter, but you know, it never really comes across as real. Mm. In In Asteroid City, all of that works in its favor because it's a play. Like the whole story. Of all of these people in like, you know, a sort of fantasy fairy tale, 1950s, 1940s, sort of, I think, um, going to this quirky little town in the middle of the desert for this asteroid ceremony and weird things happen and the government has to put them all in like quarantine. That is a play, but it's all set out in this hyper-realistic, brightly colored desert town where everybody's just kind of, it's all... It's strange, but you know it's supposed to be strange. But it's as strange. But at the same time, you're seeing the story of how the play was created and you know cast and produced and everything, and that is filmed as if it's a play. Like you're actually seeing people oh. on sets interacting with each other. So it's like. Oh, it just kind of sets your brain on fire. And I understand that a lot of people don't quite like it just because of it's weird. And the whole not really getting what the point was is sort of the point. But I just I just thought it was fun. It was definitely fun. Oh, and yeah. no, and let me tell you, it. everybody is in it. If you're playing that actorly game and you happen oh, yeah. to get Asteroid City, it's not going to help you at all because you're like, okay, there's like a dozen people that I recognize in this movie. Nice, I actually like that though because the whole movie you're like, oh, check it out, oh, I'll be darned. Don't <laughs> But I guess that's going to wrap us up for the week, so make sure to check out PixelyTheGeek.com for all the book reviews, the movie reviews, the comic book reviews, the photo galleries. By the time this episode comes out, we are at Comic-Con! Can't wait. Oh my gosh. I'm waiting. I love that um, Instagram reel that you posted of WonderCon Ooh, yeah. uh, while we're waiting for uh, the, all the lovely reels that we're going to get of cosplay at Comic-Con. Yeah. The whole dance number? There were people doing a dance number at WonderCon? Yeah, and I didn't know what dance they were doing. I, it wasn't like It wasn't the electric slide. And it wasn't the Cupid Shuffle. It was some type of, you know, one of those type of dances. And so there were a bunch of cosplayers out doing that. And I got a little, little tiny video of them doing that. It was very fun. But yeah, the cosplay is always the best, especially since, you know, now that the actors have actually joined the writer's strike in order to try and make the studios knuckle under uh, you know, if you're striking, you're not allowed to do convention appearances. So I don't know that there's going to be a lot going on in Hall H or the big ballroom. But there's always, you know, we've gone to tons of little panels like Cosplay 101. And I went to a leatherworking one at one point, And there's um. God, I've just had so many invites to so many different panels. Um, And Wade, because of the agency he worked with, he got an invite and can bring one person to a Good Omens experience on Friday night, uh, excuse me, Saturday night at 9. So we're going to be doing that. And it said cosplay's encouraged. Now, at the time of this recording, it's like four days from now, so I'm not really going to try and throw together a very elaborate cosplay, but I may need to rewatch some Good omens and see if there's anybody that I can kind of hint at. I don't know. If you get yourself like a white outfit and maybe get some wings, you could go as one of the like angel henchmen sort of things. Uh, That'd be all right, too. Because I think a lot of them also were um, sunglasses, I seem to remember. Yes, yeah. Or you could get yourself a blonde wig and... um, I think it was the angel Michael, and it was played by a female actor, but she was the one that brought the holy water into the uh, the hell for the little execution scene at the end. Oh, that might be fun. Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll go watch and see if I can throw something together. <laughs> real best, cause I, don't really, I don't really have any big cosplay. But it's been so hot today in San Diego. Oh, my goodness. It's just boiling. Yes. It's in the high 80s, is it, I think. Right? Well, t- today, it was like 76 degrees. I mean, I walked <sighs> outside. And I got all sweaty. Can you imagine? Ugh. We're doing that—the um, run the year challenge with uh, Hannah, mm-hmm. and I have not been able to go running for a while because it was ninety-two degrees with a heat index of a hundred and two. Uh, gross! Ugh. Ugh. I'm not. I'm not running in that, and I'm not getting up at five in the morning to run before sunrise. It's just not happening. Uh no new but yeah i'm giving myself permission to possibly i don't know wear some vulcaneers or something you know yeah that works kind of like low-key steampunk something i don't know but we'll see anyway we are going to have a lot of cosplay photos and head to the website because right now we've been putting up a lot of posts on what various people's plans are like the warner brothers plan image comics we're going to have dark horse up there DC had a thing. So if you're wanting to know what a lot of these big publishers' schedules like, head right away to pixelatedgeek.com for all that and more. So... Ah, uh, next week, looking forward to next week, we're not going to have a Laura Olympus episode because I'm going to go ahead and assume that we are going to wait at least a little longer before we fast pass that last one. A little bit. And we definitely don't have another Night veil vale, because they're still going to be on hiatus until August. Mm-hmm. So the only thing I've been able to think is, I mean... I got to watch shrinking. I got to watch the third season of Ted Lasso. I got to finish up Boba Fett and then maybe tackle Mandalorian, which is the whole reason why I'm watching Boba Fett in the first place. So yeah, I got lots of TV to catch up on. Same, same. So maybe we'll do that or something else because we're specific, but you know, (laughs) one way or the other, we will talk to everybody in one week. Talk to y'all later. The next episode ends with Cassandra's first words to Apollo. Actually, you said, and you said the next episode ends. I oh, sorry. It. And then the scene switches again. We're in the mortal realm. Um, nope. Hang on. Try that again. So we flash back down to the mortal realm and Apollo is there. Uh, you, said like, Apo- you said Apollo. Damn it. Always do that. <laughs> <laughs> Decide that she came up with a name for the interlope. Oh, uh, sorry. <laughs> Let's start that one again.